this past Friday in the men's study, we were in Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, and we were looking at the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, especially in the aspect of the land, the land, seed, and the blessing from Genesis chapter 12. It's an unconditional covenant. That means God made it, and it's going to be done. It doesn't depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon Israel or other nations. But it was of the Messiah coming to Israel. It was of Israel inhabiting the land. Israel bringing worship from all over the world to the Lord Jesus Christ in the days ahead. And what a joy it was to look at those different concepts and to be prepared for that to come. As we looked at the, uh, the coming, the preparation, the fulfillment of it, and it will be fulfilled probably a lot sooner than we anticipate. But between now and then, a lot of things need to occur. We're waiting for the rapture of the church. The signs are everywhere. The birth pangs are here. It's just an anticipation when the Lord says, up you go, you're coming home to be with me, those that are alive will follow those that have already preceded us in death, physical death, not spiritual death, and will be resurrected together to remain with the Lord. Shortly thereafter, with the rise of the Antichrist, it will take a little while for that to occur, will be a seven-year tribulation time. Well, in heaven, there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb between the church and our, and our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then his coming again to accomplish what we read in Isaiah 60, 61, and 62. But we've got missions on our heart and on our mind right now at Grace Community Church. Much more maybe than other times during the year because it is, as uh, Jacob said, it's our missions conference time. And we utilize that faith promise. We have to step out in faith, trusting the Lord to provide sacrificing that he will make up the difference for us. And Bill McLeod has been involved in this for many years. He was the uh, missions pastor at Greater Portland Bible Church. We were together in seminary back in the, the time of the dirt discovery. <laughs> and so we've got a sort of a part of the tree trunk tied together that way. He traveled and worked for the Palau team, Luis Palau twice, setting up crusades in Scotland and Wales and, and England, other, other locations around the world. Was involved with Bill McCartney and the Promise Keepers. That's quite, it's quite a resume, but he's not caught up in that. He's caught up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, in the last 15 years, Bill, Mission Connection approximately, 22? Well, <laughs> see how fast time goes? He founded Mission Connection, which is an organization that comes together to, with churches and organizations to facilitate their missions work and to group us together and make it more possible to accomplish what we need to do as individuals. They put on big events, but they also help, like we met with him last night as a missions team. Pastor was with us as well. And look at the possibilities in the future as to how we can connect with Mission Connection.
Now he's part of an organization, Connection is just one of five organizations that have amalgamated together and are working to become a very powerful force for worldwide missions, covering different components of it and aspects of it. Bill is coming with a message, it's the third time at Grace Community Church, twice in missions conferences and once during a missions conference he also did the role of the man in the family. And that was a great seminar for men. So God brings him here to speak to us, to open up our conference, to open up our hearts and our minds. We can get rid of all the accolades and we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me pray, Bill, as you come, you're gonna be up there. And uh, Lord, may you speak through Bill this morning. We thank you, Father, for the richness of the ministry that you've given him, the joy that he has in getting churches and people involved in missions, and his heart's desire to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Use him as you see fit this day, this morning, this night, as he lines out the mission connection tonight with the other organizations and, and how the people here can utilize it, how they might be involved in, in going to a field on short-term missions, all kinds of things. Have your way, Lord, in us and in Bill. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's welcome Bill McLeod. Well, thank you, Brandy. It's great to be back. And uh, boy, what about that worship team? Was that awesome? Yeah. Uh, the leader, do you used to play with the Eagles? Man, I mean, they just, bam, hit it. Only once. Yeah, that was, uh, that was great. And I've, uh, yeah, like Randy said, I think it was 16 years ago I was here. Is anybody alive that uh, back then that's still here? Every, the whole church, wow, a few old, old people. Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, new, it's a new uh, day, there are new people here, and uh, I love this church. Strong missions church, and uh, you know, you love missions, you love the world, and uh, it's, it's so great to be here. Uh, I've been looking at uh, Pastor Brandon online, I thought, man, I've got to get a feel for this uh, church since it's been so long, and uh, so I'm looking at Brandon, and uh, I don't know why, but on the screen, anybody ever look at the sermons? If you miss them on the screen, you see Pastor Brandon's doing this special on the church, which is what it's all about. The church is God's agency for everything that's being done in the world. And I thought it was a great series, but on the screen, Brandon looks like he's about this tall. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm okay, you know, uh, that's, that's great. He's a, he's a good teacher, a good speaker, and... Uh, Man, he comes to the potluck last night, and my goodness, he's a monster. He's like these uh, sequoias that, uh, you know, when you get off the airplane, and, the, you know, and the, they got all these, uh, they're fake. But, you know, Brandon's not fake, but he's, he's so tall. He's like, oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, it changes your impression, you know. <laughs> but anyhow, great guy. My son, Eric, lives uh, with his wife and our two grandkids over in Santa Maria. And uh, he says, uh, oh, Dad, you're going to Madera. You know, he's trying to get the Spanish lingo in there. He says, uh, do you know that the word Madera, do you know what it stands for? Everybody ought to know. If you're from outside and you don't know what the word Madera means, it means wood. 
And he said they had, uh, what was it, uh, sugar plum uh, tree or something? Yeah, whatever. He told me all this history. He gets into the, you know, the history and so forth. And he said they, they would cut the, the wood down and they had the longest wood uh, flume thing. You guys are all nodding your head. You know all this stuff. It's like going to Disneyland on the, you know, whatever the log flume ride is. He said 65 miles long. And he said when these lumberjacks, see, I'm telling you stuff you already know, but it's kind of cool to me that, you know, this is pretty cool. The lumberjacks would get uh, in trouble and they'd have an injury and they would strap these guys to the logs and send them down the log. Did you, does anybody know that? Nick, you know, you're nodding your head. Are you a lumberjack? No, you're a mechanic. Yeah. Uh, so they would send these guys down and he said these, these logs would go like 100 miles an hour. I said, can you imagine? And I said, but Eric, you know, my mind, I'm thinking, you know, logs like telephone poles. He's like, dad, no, they're massive. They're like, they're, I said, well, yeah, but once you put the guy on top, doesn't, the, doesn't it get top heavy and the guy would be underwater for 65 miles? And, and Eric said, you know, sometimes they didn't make it. I said, can you imagine going on a log flume ride 100 miles an hour for 65. I mean, that's like you have a, a problem and you, you need the ambulance to take you to the, to the hospital, right? 65, they're going over 100 miles an hour. Can you, can you imagine when they hit? I mean, the guy's going to go three football fields, you know. But uh, anyhow, it's great to be here. And uh, it's, it, it, this is just a wonderful family. Uh, and, and I'm talking to a few people that are fairly new. You know, why did you come? Oh, Mike says, well, I drive by, I kind of like it, and I just, you know, meet these people that are nice, and it's just, and it's also really cool that a guy like Brandon grew up here, David Vickery, by the way, David Vickery is the, he's the main guy today, because if I, and I try to treat these guys really good, because if he doesn't like what I say, if I don't treat him, he just cuts my mic, so David, can we give a round of applause for David Vickery? <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> And I, I think you're the best. You're the best. So, but, uh, but anyhow, uh, it, it's wonderful and uh, everybody has been so great. But these people that have grown up in the church, you don't see that. I, I spent 45 years in the, the Northwest. My wife and I just moved down to Phoenix. Boy, talk about a culture shock. Talk about a whole new, you know, day. But, um, but it's, it's, it, you don't see this kind of solid church life where people know each other and they care for one another. And so if you're visiting today, I mean, you heard Bill McLeod was speaking, you came out, yeah, that, that'll never happen. But if you're here, uh, trust me, it'll be better when your pastor's back, okay, in the pulpit. But this missions conference is gonna be great. And of course, we want everybody to participate in Faith Promise. Well, enough of this frivolity. It's time to get serious, right? And I'm a pretty serious guy. So let's get started. My father-in-law was a World War II uh, pilot with the Army Air Corps. He, uh, he flew the Chinese Burma hump, if you're familiar with World War II history. And uh, I mean, he's, he's our hero. Now, he's with the Lord now. But a few years ago, how many of you have heard of this Honor Flight Network? Okay. Um, they approached him. They, what they do is they fly these veterans uh, they put a priority on World War II veterans, and they take them back to Washington, D.C., and they wine and dine them. It's all expenses paid, and they wanted him to be on one of those flights. 
And, uh, you know, Ray Drake, he was just a farm boy from Billings, Montana. Uh, the guy was amazing. He still fit into his Army Air Corps uniform uh, when he died at the age of, I don't know, 95, 96. I mean, he was just a... Uh, but he had high cholesterol. It's like, ah, you know, go figure. How, how does a skinny person... Like, but anyhow, I, I digress. So he gets invited to go on one of these honor flights. So my brother-in-law, Paul, goes with him. They go back to Washington, D.C. I meant to ask my wife. I don't know if he'd ever been to Washington, D.C. before. But anyhow, they are taking care of... They're at the World War II War Memorial. Has anybody ever been to the World War II War Memorial? Okay. I don't think I've ever been there, but anyhow, they're, they're taking care of all these senators and congressmen are speaking, and they're listening to all these people, and here's, they're outside, it's a beautiful day, and I think uh, my wife said, yeah, John McCain was somebody that spoke, and there was all these great guys, and uh, at the end, Paul, my brother-in-law says, Dad, what did you think? And Ray says, did you see the little squirrel eating the nuts off on the side? Did you just hear the senator? And it was like, yeah, but did you see that little squirrel? He was eating the nuts. We have laughed over this for years. Now, just between you and me, if I went back to Washington, D.C. and got to hear all these politicians, I think I would be pretty thrilled to see a little squirrel eating nuts off in the corner, you know? But what was funny is um, this passage we're going to look at, yeah, I am going to get to the Bible. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at is very similar because uh, my dear father-in-law, he was, uh, you know, he was on maybe not taking in all that was going on around him, but he sure saw that squirrel with the nuts. And um, so, oh, I got to use this clicker. So my, my question is for you, what time is it for you today? What time is it for you? The passage I was given was from John chapter 4, verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months till the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Well, I did kind of a deep dive on this uh, chapter 4. John chapter 4 contains five little snapshots. Think of like you're going with Jesus and uh, you're taking a little tour of um, a life, uh, a day in the life of Jesus Christ. And this is one snapshot. Now, I'm fudging a little bit because not everything in this chapter has to do with that day. But most of the things happening are happening on that day. Five snapshots of Jesus in relationship with people. We're going to look at those groups of people. And all have to do with time, urgency, and results. And you think about it, our lives all have to do with those three things. Time, urgency, and results. <clears throat> but one of those five stories is not like the others. How many of you ever played that game with your kids? You show things, all the mothers are nodding, yes. You say, hey kids... We've got three circles and a square, which is not like the others, right? So this is such a great passage, uh, this chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to find out which isn't like the others, okay? Now, there's 54 verses in chapter 4. Uh, the word is so important, and I usually like a couple verses and then, you know, then I'll talk. 
But you know, this morning, I really want us to focus. So I'm going to read quickly. You can look along in your uh, Bible, but uh, I just want to read these four sections quickly. I hope you don't mind someone reading fast. Anybody anybody bothered by that? Someone reading fast? Well, it's too bad. Okay. All right. Oh, this is the passage where, remember, Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you see the dotted line on the right, that's where the Jews went. They went on that side. But he went up through Jacob's well in by the the town of Sychar. And uh, so this is how it goes. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to the Galilee. Now we jump ahead. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, where the plot of ground Jacob, Jacob had given to his son Joseph, not your Jacob, by the way, there's a, a Bible character, Jacob. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about 12 noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, and you remember this well, uh, will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, they're having a conversation. And he says, a time is coming. There's that word time again. When you, uh, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now we jump a few verses down from there and it says, then leaving her water jar after she spoke to Jesus, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town, said to the people, come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now he, he, didn't, he didn't tell her everything that she had ever done, but the impact of the things that he did say to her, she realized this guy knows me like no other person has known me. Now, a lot of times people think that the Samaritan woman was like a prostitute. It just says she was married four times. State of the text just said that she was married four times. A lot of turnover there, but we don't know that she's necessarily a prostitute or whatever. But anyhow, she went by herself to get the water. Come and see a, a, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And it says, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now, now pay attention. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, wow, could someone have already come and brought him food? Like they don't say, could the woman at the well have brought, no, they don't say, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at all the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have uh, done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, jump ahead again. Now. 
Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And finally, the last little vignette, last little snapshot in this uh, uh, chapter once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his son was living. When he inquired as to the time when, the, when the, the boy got better, they said to him, yesterday, about one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized, holy, holy mackerel. This was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So that man, this royal official, he and his whole household believed. Pretty amazing, wouldn't you say, all these stories in this uh, chapter? So there we see the five pieces of the chapter, the different people. You've got the Pharisees, even though it was about him and his disciples, it was the Pharisees that were hearing. So whatever he and his, uh, John's disciples were doing, it was rising to the, the point where the Pharisees were taking notice. So that's, that's kind of incredible. And then, of course, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, he says a time is coming and has now come. Well, the the time he was talking about was the time for her. It was her time. Then the Jesus and the disciples. What time is it for them? Oh, it's time, Jesus, for you to eat. What does Jesus say? No, no, it's time for you to get going with the harvest. A little bit of a problem there. Then you got Jesus and the townspeople in Sychar. Now it's time to believe. We've heard for ourselves. It was time for them to follow Christ and believe. And finally, you've got Jesus and the royal official with a sick son. It was the exact time to be healed for that little boy. So which one is not like the others? You've got these stupendous uh, things that are happening. Which one of those examples is not like the others? Disciples, okay, awesome. Boy, if you said something else, I'd, I'd say, oh, time for me to go. All right. <laughs> the disciples don't get it. How many of you have ever felt like that? You don't get it. Seems to happen all the time with my wife and me. She sees see things one way, and I, I, I don't see it. I'm just oblivious, right? No other guys feel that way, I know, in here. Or if they're sitting with their wife, they're not going to admit it. They're always on the same page with their wife. Yeah, don't want to admit, admit it. Disciples don't get it. Well, lest we be too hard on the disciples because they don't get it, are we really that different, you guys? Really? God is doing amazing things today, advancing his, kim his kingdom, but we do not see it. Or if we do see it, we choose not to see it. It doesn't stand out to us. We all love the bad news. The good news, we kind of go, oh yeah, I guess that's happening. It does not capture our attention, but I want to read a couple 
things you may not have heard of before. Christianity has been estimated to be growing rapidly in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. They call it the Global South. For instance, in 1900, there were only 8.7 million followers of Christianity. Now there are, anybody want to take a guess? 8.7 million followers of Christianity. How many do you think there are today? Just take some guesses. 200 million? Okay, good. Wrong answer, but you know. But he's a pastor. I mean, he's probably close to anybody else. Anybody else want to guess? By the way, do you, do you understand that I like give and take with my audience? I have to really work it hard because most people fall asleep. Sometimes I fall asleep. And so I, I really like the feedback. It makes me feel good. Okay. So, uh, somebody else have a number? How much? No, he said 200. That was not quite. So 100 is a little lower. But great guess because it's better than 8.7 million. So awesome job. What's your name? I love Hopkins. I love Hopkins. Okay, I heard the Hopkins. <laughs> Super. Awesome. Thank you. Somebody else want to guess? I feel like I'm on the prices Right or something. What? Uh, in the back. How many? No. You're way too high. That refrigerator does not cost now. <laughs> 390 million, okay, from 8.7 million to 390 million, okay, since 1900. And it's expected that by 2025, there will be 600 million Christians in Africa. Uh, in Africa, it, it won't be probably too long before. I mean, 2025 is what, two years away? So, I mean, it could be a billion when I come here 16 years from now. Everybody really will be dead. I'll be dead. Artificial intelligence, here's another little thing. Artificial intelligence is helping Bible translators with making new Bible versions. Did everybody know that? Have you heard about that? Researchers hope to speed up the process so that everyone can read the Bible in his or her own language by guess. 2033, only 10 years away because of AI. Pretty amazing. As Christianity continues to grow, the printing of Bibles continues to grow along with it. This year, this year, 93 million copies of God's Word will be printed. 93 million copies, up, to, up from 5 million in 1900. 54 million in 2000, and by 2025, 100 million Bibles will be printed each year. Currently, almost 1.8 billion Bibles are in circulation around the world, and that will climb to 2.3 billion by 2050. These are amazing statistics. These are things that are not the result only of man's hands. These are indicators that God is with his people. God wants the world to know about Jesus. And these are all kind of indicators. Well, so Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the times in which they lived. And he was using the harvest to symbolize how ripe and ready the world around them was to respond to the good news. He was direct and personal. And this morning and again tonight, I want to share some information with you to see if you can figure out for yourself what time is it, what time it is. And if you do, what practical ways that you can engage in the Great Commission you can engage in the harvest, 
the Great Commission. I want you to be able to answer the question, what time is it for you? Now, to be able to answer that question really depends on your perspective and willingness to see it. In John chapter 4, Jesus distinguishes two ways that you can look at the harvest. Two ways, conventional wisdom and unconventional wisdom. So let's look at these two. Conventional wisdom is stated when Jesus says, don't you have a saying four months more until the harvest? When he makes that statement, he is talking to people who are used to hearing that. They are like people in Madeira, probably involved in agriculture business. How many are involved in agriculture here in some way or form? Okay, yeah, man. Everybody, come on, put your hands up here. This is the economy, right? Well, I made an assumption that people would be involved in the agriculture business and we've got two people and the rest of you don't want to admit it. Okay, that's okay. Unconventional wisdom is displayed when Jesus says, wake up, open your eyes and look, the harvest is always now. That's my reinterpretation. He's saying the harvest, you know, it's ripe. The fields are ripe for harvest. So again, he's using... Um, he's using this idea of harvest in a couple ways. Now, let's, let's kind of dive deep and look at this conventional wisdom and uh, unconventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom represents widely held beliefs on which most people act. They help us conform to cultural norms and behavior and thinking, allowing us to understand majority consensus and reach conclusions quickly. When I was preparing to come here, I wanted to fit in. That's conventional uh, you know, thinking. I usually wear a suit jacket because I'm old and stuffy. And I looked at Brandon on the YouTube and I thought, man, he's just like wearing short sleeve shirts. I mean, man, I, I think I could fit in if I just wore, some, but you know, I'm a speaker, so I kind of have to dress up more than the pastor. So, I, but I decided to not to wear the tie. I could have worn a string tie. I saw a guy here with a string tie on. My father-in-law used to wear string ties, but I, I don't have any, so I didn't wear string ties. But let's talk about conventional wisdom for a minute. And uh, let, let's talk about some examples of conventional wisdom. Now, how I want to do this is I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to complete it for me, okay? Actions speak louder than the pen is mightier than the you're never too old to, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, all good things come to those who time and tide wait for no. Boy, you guys are dang good. You know them all. Many hands make light. Too many cooks spoil the, the what? I heard two answers. <laughs> Broth is the right answer because that's what I have. A barking dog never... Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was going over this with my wife, and she says, you know, three examples is enough. Just, you know. I said, no, I'm going to do all of them. All that glitters isn't. Children should be seen and not. We don't really like that one. Today, it's children. We listen to children. We obey, you know, parents obey your children, you know. Finally, don't cut your chickens before they hatch. Everybody gets it. Okay. Now, let's talk about local application to this conventional wisdom. 
Can you, and I know now I'm talking to people like me, nobody's in the agriculture business, but just help me here. Maybe you knew somebody that worked in agriculture. Can you plant anytime you want? Can you plant and harvest anytime you want? No. I did a little research. In other words, I went on Google. I found out that uh, these products, do you guys know what the products are in this area? Like this is like the capital of uh, what? Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Cashews, oh man. Yeah, you got it. Almonds harvest August through October. This is what Google tells me, so you know it's right. Pistachios harvest late August to early October. Walnuts harvest late August through late November. Cotton is planted in April and they harvest in October. Does that sound about right? All those? By the way, you don't have filbert nuts? They grow filbert nuts like crazy, like nuts up in, uh, uh, in Oregon. One time when I was uh, in between things, I worked in a filbert nut farm and uh, I came home. My wife was on the phone with her mother, uh, my mother-in-law saying, yeah, Bill worked in a nut farm today. I thought, yeah, I know how that conversation goes from there. He should get a real job. Sorry, mom. Um, is, is conventional wisdom ever harmful or wrong? Well, let me ask you this, going back to these nuts. Is there, I mean, these are generally true, but when are they not true? Like what would affect the timing of the harvest? The weather, right? So if you had a weather like uh, we had in Phoenix this summer, 110 degrees every day for the month of July and a little bit on the hottest summer on record. Yeah, welcome, McClouds, to, uh, to Phoenix. So the weather will have a lot to do with it. But generally, these are generally uh, true. But when is conventional wisdom har- harmful? Maybe when there's incorrect ideas that start gaining acceptance, but they're incorrect. Uh, my wife and I visited our missionaries when I was a mission uh, pastor in Guinea, uh, West Africa. And uh, he was a Hewlett Packard engineer that he left all of that to become a missionary. Some of you, God may be calling to become a full-time missionary. You might be an engineer, but he, they went there. They were working with this tribe. They lived in kind of a mud hut with the people, but they had this body of water, like a little pond. They did their bathing there. They went to the bathroom there and they got their drinking water from the pond. That was conventional wisdom. Do you think that our missionary had a little job to do? He didn't just preach the gospel. He's like, these people are going to be dead. The kids are dying of malaria. We've got to teach these kids that you don't just drink the water in this pond. So that was one of their uh, jobs was to help change conventional thinking with this uh, tribe. Okay, here's a question for you. Do you think Jesus used conventional wisdom? Give me some examples. Jesus using conventional wisdom. Just shout it out, anything. And uh, even if you're wrong, nobody's going to laugh at you. Well, I won't laugh at you. Anything at all that you can think of Jesus that he did did that was conventional. What? Okay, he was teaching on vines and branches, which was... Boy, these things always get messed up on my head. I don't know if my ears wiggle or what, but these things always move around. Okay, hopefully that'll stay still. All right, vines and branches. That was conventional wisdom. Anything else? Great answer. The what? 
The parables, he was just using common everyday examples, right? To teach deeper truth, yeah. Um, I was thinking about what he wore. He wasn't Joseph with a multicolored uh, robe. He, he probably fit in. You know, the other day I was thinking of uh, Albert Einstein. You know, Albert Einstein, the theory of relativity, he was uh, off the charts in terms of, um, you know, uh, just unconventional wisdom. But he dressed like everybody else. He fit into the norms and the cultures, even though he's super bright. The only thing was like that hair. He looked like the guy from uh, Back to the Future. But, uh, you know, anyhow, this example of kind of conventional uh, wisdom. Uh, I was thinking about Jesus and his worship at the temple, right? He would have fit in. His relationship, is that bugging you too? Yeah, there's no help for me. What, what did I do wrong? Boy, Brandon, man. If you're ever in a pinch, you guys, you have an awesome pastor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, yeah, amen, amen. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, come on back up in about three seconds. It's gonna go kooky again. Um, I was thinking about, we don't really know a whole lot about Jesus and his relationship with his parents, but uh, like weren't weren't him and his dad in business together or something? Making uh, furniture? So, you know, those are kind of conventional wisdom kind of things. Now, what about missions? Do you think we use conventional wisdom in missions? In what way? Just give me an example. Okay, they learn language. Okay, certain structure. Oh, want to go for a second one? Go ahead. You know what? You know wisdom. Well, you'll make a great missionary someday. Yeah, that's good. Anything else with conventional wisdom that the missionaries do? The culture, okay. They've got to fit in. All right. Listen to this story. I don't want to freak you out, but listen to this story. This is an example of a short-term mission. It was taken from uh, my friend Jonathan Martin wrote a book on giving wisely. During the Christmas season, truckloads of gifts arrived um, for the children at a Mexican orphanage near the U.S. border. Many U.S. churches had heard the call of the scriptures to help the orphans in their distress, and they responded in the way that they'd been trained to respond to give money and send gifts. Church after church sent truckloads after truckloads of nice stuff. As one truck was emptied that was coming from the States, the goods were quickly hidden so the next church with their truckload wouldn't see the vast number of gifts that already were received from the other generous churches. All the churches were easily kept under the delusion that they were giving the only gifts that these poor orphan children would receive. Now listen to this line. The orphan children were known by the locals to be the wealthy kids in the neighborhood. Right? Because they always had new clothes, right? My friend Walter, Jonathan says, my friend Walter, who was working with, for the spiritual well-being of these kids, was amazed at the high quality and vast quantity of, of gifts being received. He watched as a truckload of very nice football jerseys was unloaded, like, you know, U of O, those green with the gold. I mean, you can imagine, probably had thousands of kids running around with green and gold <coughs> jerseys on. They all matched with a different uh, number uh, uh, on each jersey. The young men were delighted. The photos taken for the church folk who gave back in the U.S. showed joyous, beaming smiles. But 
This delight on their faces was not for the reasons we might uh, simply choose to believe. These young recipients of the gifts knew that these jerseys, jerseys would fetch a lot of money in the market, right? They already had way too many clothes. Americans love to give clothing. Well, hours later, Walter saw these same jerseys in the market for sale. Cash now in hand, the boys came back to the orphanage. And that night, Walter notices that these same young men are leaving the orphan complex. <clears throat> Curious, he follows and watches as they walk out to meet a truck arriving from the city, arriving with a different kind of Christmas gift. The truck carried several young women. The boys were able to purchase these prostitutes thanks to the generosity of American churches. Walter's heart was broken. These were boys he loved and they were being empowered but for evil by the very good intentions but ignorant generosity of the church. Now, what did the churches in America do right? They gave. Anything else? They didn't give their rags, they give good stuff, right? What did they do wrong? They didn't. They didn't investigate. Right. They made some assumptions, correct? And when you make wrong assumptions in conventional wisdom, things can go south in a hurry. And that's, of course, what happened. Uh, what, would you do, what would you guys do differently? What would you have done if Jacob says, hey, we're going to send some clothing down to the orphans in uh, Mexico? What, what kind of questions would you be asking? Real loud. Ah, make sure you have a relationship and you know. Yeah. Well, there's all kinds of questions we could ask. So that's conventional wisdom. Let's talk about unconventional wisdom. That is the ability to imagine new possibilities and solve complex problems that have eluded other people. What is it good for? Being unconventional is an essential element in doing original work or creating original ideas. Solving complex problems. Some examples. Using unorthodox technologies or thinking. I was thinking about Apollo 13. Anybody see that movie? You're all too young to have seen the actual event. <clears throat> but uh, that was a joke. Um, but imagine, these guys are on their way to the moon, and their systems fail, and they've got to figure out how did they get these guys around the moon and back safely on Earth. And the way they put the whole thing together was absolutely amazing. <clears throat> um, I tell you, I met Connor last night. Connor, what's his last name? Magnuson. He's working like he's a, a mechanical engineer working with his biotech. He's like creating these amazing things. Uh, I shouldn't say this, but he showed us a breast pump that we're, I don't want to go into details, but like, I was like amazed. I was shocked. Like the stuff that he's working on is changing the world. I mean, you might as well say he's like a missionary. He's changing the world for good by using his skill and his knowledge to do this technology. And uh, I, I just was blown away. It was so uh, wonderful. But if you develop a vaccine to cure cancer, you're using out-of-the-box thinking. You're using unconventional, unconventional wisdom. What about uh, local application to this uh, nut stuff going on in Madeira? 
Can you think of any innovation? Do they harvest nuts the same way here now that they did, say, 16 years ago? No. I went online. I saw this machine that's shaking the, the nut tree and the, was it the walnuts that fall? And, and then, is it almonds? And then they suck them up with a vacuum cleaner and they process them on the, on the machine. Like before they get back, <clears throat> they probably by the truck, by the time the truck gets back, it's selling them. I don't know, right off the truck. <laughs> Amazing. So, so you see the technology has changed even this industry. Anybody, does anybody know, like can name one thing that's done really differently today in any kind of a nut industry that a few years ago was not being, was being done? What? You can you do it earlier. You're saying. <laughs> wow. So usually it would take. They have a, um, an almond that pollinates itself, and pistachios would take typically seven years to grow and harvest. And you're saying they're doing in some. That's, that's, it's so exciting, isn't it? And, uh, you know, industry is, is changing, you know, all around us. And thank God we live in a system that's free and we can, you know, do these things and develop these things. Um, is there any danger in unconventional thinking? Well, give, give me an example of what's dangerous. The What? Yeah, so you've got to be really careful. You have all these great ways to harvest, but boy, if a certain kind of alien bug comes in from outside that you're not ready for, that's, then you probably got to use unconventional wisdom to figure out how you're going to attack that bug. <clears throat> um, anything else? I think, yeah? So there's unintended consequences. You can develop things and sometimes you're not seeing what's happening over here. And uh, uh, I, I think, you know, one danger I thought of is you can be so unconventional that you don't fit in at all with the cultural norms. And so, what do they say? Uh, you get too far ahead of your troops and you're mistaken for the enemy. <clears throat> Must be nuts in the air. Oh, is this for me? Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I was kind of hoping someone would see my need. Obviously, it's Brandon. It's the only one that has a compassionate only one that has a compassionate heart in the whole, uh, oh, don't worry about that guy. Brandon will get him. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you, Brandon. <clears throat> Did Jesus use unconventional wisdom? Give me some examples if you think that Jesus used unconventional wisdom. <clears throat> Real loud, I'm deaf. Okay, went through Samaria. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> right from the text. Went through Samaria. Something else. <clears throat> and that's also in the text. He healed the child without even being there. Pretty unconventional. Yeah. He walked on water. Yep. Do you have your hand up? Okay. Um, well, he healed. That's pretty unconventional. Then he healed on the Sabbath. Do you think that was kind of breaking some conventional, you know, rules? What about, uh, 
teaching in the temple at the age of 12. Pretty unconventional. I love when he talked to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, uh, he says, you know, you, you can tell the weather, you guys, but you can't tell the times. In other words, you've got, you may have the weather app on your phone, Pharisees, but you have no clue what's going on in the world. You, you, you just, you don't, you, don't, you don't get it. So again, very unconventional. What about missions? Can you think of examples of unconventional thinking in missions? Okay, tent making. <clears throat> That's maybe different from what was done, say, 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, Paul the Apostle did it, but when we do it, it's pretty unconventional. Yeah. <clears throat> Something else. Oh, yeah, so we have internet, so we can use the internet <clears throat> to spread the gospel. Awesome. Yep. I was thinking of um, Hudson Taylor from a different, obviously, century. He, uh, he found that when he preached in China, the clothes that he wore, his black jacket, long black jacket, uh, the Chinese behind his back were saying, he, you know, he really looks like the devil. That's probably where the expression came from. Boy, you look like the devil. <laughs> but they really, they, the way he dressed was so foreign that they said, this is like a devil. So what did he do? He dressed like the locals he adopted all of their uh, clothing. He shaved his head and he just left a little uh, thing of hair uh, that he braided and behind. And what he found when he went to Shanghai, uh, where there were more Westerners, the Westerners like ridiculed him. They spit on him. They hated him. But when he was working in China, amongst the people that he was called to reach in the country in China, they loved him. He fit right in. He didn't stick out. He had a lot more kind of purchase, leverage with those people because he looked like them. We have a people group, a people group approach now to fulfilling the Great Commission, which is uh, somewhat new. We're using uh, artificial intelligence and Bible translation, and we're mobilizing more majority world workers. So that's just... Some examples of unconventional wisdom. Jesus' wisdom, do you think that Jesus is conventional or unconventional? Real loud. Both. I think he's both. I think we would tend to see him as unconventional, but he's not just one. He says, when he says my food, it shows that he understands his own calling. When he says, don't you have a saying, he's challenging conventional wisdom. Don't you have a saying, you know, four months more till the harvest? He's challenging that. When he says, wake up and look around you, he's basically saying, take stock of your surroundings. Figure out where you're at. And then the last part, I think he takes into account who we are and how the Lord has created each and every one of us. And there's no cookie cutter approach to living for Christ. You just live and act and talk and communicate with people based on who you are. And I love the fact that it takes into account who we are and how the Lord has created us. And then 
When we do that, we really can begin to know what time it is and what time it is for each of us. Well, kind of in closing here, um, okay, maybe this morning you're here and you're like those uh, examples from John chapter 4, and uh, you're not sure if it's time for you to hear, not sure if it's time for you to believe, be healed, time to eat, or harvest. I love the, you know, these people were so, uh, they were so, like, focused on eating. I kind of find, like, uh, you know, has anyone ever, ever been so excited about a hobby that they do that they totally lose track of time? And this happens to me a lot. I just love what I do, and I get... <clears throat> but I find that, you know, let's say I'm uh, eating ice cream at night, and my wife will say, what, you're eating again? No guy ever experiences that. But then, my goodness, if I miss a meal because I'm just so working on something, what does she say? Ah, you, you, you didn't eat your dinner? What are you, you going to do? I'm like, you know, can we have a little bit of moderation here? Like, let me eat the ice cream and don't go crazy if I haven't, you know, if I missed a meal? Well, tonight... I'm going to share some more stories. In fact, I, I'm going to ask for your help tonight. Uh, I'm going to ask for your advice. So I really need you to come back because <clears throat> I need a lot of help. And uh, we're going to do some Q&A. We're going to try to get more uh, focused on how each and every person here can be part of the uh, Great Commi Commission uh, Harvest. And, uh, and we'll look at how you can engage more, more effectively in the harvest. I really hope you come. Um, I understand that not everybody likes filet mignon and, uh, and tri-tip, you know, I'll be there. But those of you who don't like tri-tip and filet mignon, we will have pizza, okay? And so uh, you want to come back tonight. This will be transformed into one huge feeding trough and, uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun. But anyhow, we're going to take communion right now. And uh, I, again, I do want you to be able to answer the question, what time is it for you? Uh, Jerry's going to come up. I think I'm supposed to close in prayer. So uh, Jerry, why don't you come on up? And uh, are you an elder here, Jerry? Where is he? Okay. You're an elder? Okay. Whew. Let me pray quickly then. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. And I thank you for these faithful people at Grace Community Church that you um, have called to be a light in the world, and I think of my good friend, Gil Harder, that used to say, the light that shines the furthest abroad shines the brightest here at home. And uh, Lord, that is the case for this church. And so we also pray that you would, uh, everybody would respond to this uh, faith promise challenge over the next few weeks. So Lord, we just uh, commit our time for uh, this communion. We thank you for your death and resurrection on the cross. And um, we just commit our day to you in Christ's name. Amen.